Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we've got Jaden Thomas from Fargo, North Dakota. We've had Jaden on before. He's a very avid angler. Fishes a lot over on the Minnesota side where there's so much fishing going on in the lakes area. I'm talking Ottertail County, Becker County. Um, Jaden also heads west a little bit. We talk uh, about you know like Devil's Lake and just some of the, the North Dakota bodies of water that he's fishing all the time. But just a great update from a very popular place in the world. There's so much great fishing going on right now. Uh, Jaden also works at Shields in Fargo. We're going to get a retail update, just sort of an educational update on things that are happening in the retail world, things to be paying attention to this time of year, because I think that's kind of important as well and interesting and fun to listen to. And that's always a changing thing all the time. Uh, If there's ever going to be any shortages, if there's going to be any sales coming up, uh, just any retail updates are always good. Uh, to help prepare us for some of our buying decisions. So we're going to get that from Jaden as well. Uh, In this interview, you know, I just wanted to call Jaden and get an update. I've been following him on social media. I know he's fishing all the time, pictures of big walleyes. I wanted to hear about it and, uh, you know, come to find out he's been doing a lot of shore fishing uh, as well as, uh, you know, fishing in the boat. I mean, it's open water season. You think in fall, you think in uh, big walleyes. Uh, But, you know, Jaden brings up that he's been doing a lot of shore fishing. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, Another great topic another great example of a fishing opportunity that is probably a little underappreciated a little overlooked uh and there's there's a lot of it going on uh anywhere anywhere in walleye country so if you're listening to this and uh you're maybe just thinking you're going to entertain yourself but you've already put your boat away for the year uh maybe you're prioritizing some hunting maybe uh you know, like we always say, you know, the kids are back in school, sports and, and everything, all the extracurriculars are, are popping up. Um, but man, it doesn't take much to stop at a bridge and go do some casting uh, for a couple of hours. And I think a lot of people will be amazed, you know, just uh, the opportunities that we're driving past um, on the road, just, uh, you know, just shore fishing opportunities wherever you live. So, um, you know, if you're in one of those places or if you're thinking about that, uh, you're, this might be very interesting for you. I know it was for me. So anyways, we got Jaden Thomas, Fargo, North Dakota. We're talking shore fishing. We're talking boat fishing. We're talking big walleyes and a retail update. Let's get to it. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. 
To check out more of what they got, head to their website, NorthlandTackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. It's hardcore this time of year. You're one of the guys that sticks it out. You don't go hunting. You don't have kids to go back to school and get in sports, and you don't have that busy. I mean, you know, you're one of the guys that's able to get out and fish, and so that's definitely... uh, Another one of those reasons why I like to call you. So let's start out with that, man. Let's get a bit of a fishing update, some fall walleyes or whatever you've been into recently. Lay it on me, man. What's been going on fishing-wise for you? Yeah, man, like you laid it out. I I don't hunt. (laughs) I just And again, I think I've said this before. I have nothing against hunting. I think it's great. I have plenty of friends planning to do it. I just, I, I hunted a little bit when I was younger, but I think when I was about 12 or 13, I discovered I was introduced to fall fishing. And I said, I'll never, I'll never, I'll probably never hunt again. The fishing was so good and it's held true every year since. Um, so yeah, this year I've been fishing a ton. Um, I start really started to see the fall patterns develop right around the end of September. Um, when the, and for me, I really get, I really feel like fall introduces itself to us or reintroduces itself to us every year. When I see that water temp get below, usually my number is about 66. Once I see it get below 66 degrees Fahrenheit, um, I really start to see fish set up in uh, early fall patterns. Usually the first one I look for is when fish push back into the weeds, typically around that you know, um, eight to 15 foot mark. I was seeing that around a lot of the lakes I fish in uh, West central Minnesota and uh, uh, Eastern North Dakota here. Um, and that's one of my favorite bites because when I get to really snap jig plastics again, um, usually I'm throwing a lot of quarter three eighths or half ounce jigs with either a four or five or six inch paddle tail or split tail. And those fish, you know, they're coming back into the weeds or, and actually on some lakes, I've seen a lot of these fish. It's not, they're coming back. They've been these resident fish all year. Um, and now we're able to fish for them again. Cause a lot of that real thick, uh, dense foliage has kind of laid down a little bit. And now it's back to what we saw, you know, you see in spring early summer where it's just, it's sparse cabbage or coontail stocks where these fish have room to hunt a lot of bait that's lived there all year is exposed. And it's just a perfect feeding ground for walleyes. And, and a tip I'll give people, you know, I've had people ask, you know, what do you mean by resident fish? Those are fish that live there. They don't, you know, go out deep. They, they don't make that traditional seasonal progression that a lot of fish do. And an easy way to tell that is if you catch one, look at the colors. Um, these resident fish that live in these weeds for most of their life, they're typically a very dark green and, uh, and gold. They're very pretty fish. Um, walleyes in general, when they're, when they, when they move around constantly, and this is all across the wall, about anywhere walleye swim, lakes, rivers, reservoirs, when they get kind of that pale washed out color, um, that means they're not staying in one place very long. Uh, like the, like, I mean, uh, you usually see that really with base with basin orientated fish. Those fish will usually be kind of that washed out pale gray or green. Those fish are the fish that you might catch them in one spot one day. And then the next day, or even the afternoon, they might be a couple hundred yards down the break or shoreline, whatever you're fishing. Those are very pelagic, um, very nomadic fish, resident fish find a piece of structure or an area and they call it home. They don't, they might move 50, hundred feet, but they're not moving to an RP structure across the lake. So that's something to keep for people should pay attention to when they are fishing these early fall patterns. Um, the last few weeks I've been, I've really gone back to my roots and been a shore fisherman again. Um, when we get kind of in this middle, middle or meat of the fall, when you see water temps can dip below sixties, you know, in that low to mid or upper fifties, um, post turnover, um, I have a lot of my best bites are again from shore. I haven't been in a boat, I think for three weeks now. Um, I've been fishing, you know, uh, bridge areas, current areas, uh, windswept shorelines and those fish 
kind of in the same deal that you know you get a lot of bait in the fall especially like perch sunfish white bass bullheads they push into the shallows for a uh, majority of the fall and early winter and that's just a uh, that's just a, a smorgasbord it's a buffet for a lot of walleye especially big walleyes you know they're looking to put on the feed bag starting to develop their eggs they need to eat a lot to keep them healthy um, before winter sets in and there's no better place for them than these sh- than these shallow water areas that again are typically right next to shore and easily accessible for anyone how are you fishing them from shore, man? Are you bobber fishing them? Are you night fishing them? Uh, is it like a time of day deal? Um, are you casting, you know, whatever? Like, give me a little, a uh, little bit more there. Yeah. So, uh, I, again, I, I love shore fishing. Um, it takes me back to my roots. Um, that's really how I got introduced to walleye fishing was fishing from shore on devil's lake with my grandpa. You know, we didn't have a boat growing up. It was all shore fishing all summer, spring and fall. Uh, that's the only way we could fish for them. So a couple of things I've learned with fall fishing that can kind of separate you from the crowds. Cause first of all, you're not in a boat, right? So you, you can't, just pick up and go as easily and there's not as many good shore fishing spots as there are you know offshore spots that are accessible by a boat right your options are usually a lot more limited so there's a couple things you usually want to look for and how you want to fish them how i'm usually fishing for shore is pretty much all it's pretty much always jigging i'd say i I rock a, a jig and a swim bait most of the time i'll mix in a rattle bait like a rip and wrap or a blade bait uh here and there especially blade baits once the water gets colder you know starting that low 50s to 40s range um but it's pretty much all jigging because that way i can kind of i can kind of pick apart um a piece of shoreline with a jig i get really good feel um i can work it methodically and kind of figure out the area because again you're fishing from shore you, you don't it takes you back to roots that you don't have electronics you know you don't have side imaging you don't have depth to, you don't have a, just 2d sort tell you how depth how deep it is uh, you don't have side imaging to kind of cover a hundred feet to either side to tell you how the structure lays out and you don't have forward facing sonar to tell you, yep, there's a rock pile here with, uh, with three walleye sitting on top of it. And then there's a bigger one sliding off the edge of it. It's you, you don't, you don't have eyes underwater anymore. So your eyes are your rod, your line and your lure. You got to pick it apart and figure it out really by feel. Um, so that's why I rock a jig most of the time is just to really just kind of get lay of the land underneath the surface. Um, a couple of things I look for when you're shore fishing, um, again, like I said before, current is always key. Current is a magnet for bay fish and in turn fish. Um, and then if you don't have current, uh, wind, windswept areas, you know, um, but I'd always take current over windswept areas first. Current will always trump wind. But if you don't have current accessible to you, you know, if your lake doesn't have like a bottleneck area in between two larger points of the lake, you don't have like a bridge area or some kind of funnel narrow area that creates a current. Um, I'll look for windswept shorelines. And uh, the other key I look for is some kind of hard bottom or hard to soft bottom transition, um, especially a lot in these North Dakota lakes, these glacial lake regions where lakes have experienced flooding, where there was uh, roads or these bridge areas, you typically have riprap um, where uh, um, it's was put in there to protect, protect these roads and bridges from erosion, right? Well, when you have the water come up, you get some of these rocks flood and typically at the base of these rocks where the, where the original lake bottom was is typically like a, a mud or a silt, some kind of soft bottom. So you have that perfect transition line where these walleyes can cruise um, and just chase bait nonstop and, and gorge themselves. 
I mean, your strategy for, you know, picking the spots and covering water, man, I'm all about that. Is there anything like with your setup? Are you into like, uh, you know, the tungstens, you know, for the sensitivity or castability? Is there anything with your setup? Use lighter line to make longer casts? Like, like what are some some little tweaks or details that you feel like are kind of, uh, you know, kind of little tips and tricks to be a little bit more, uh, just a little bit extra for the, uh, for the average shore angler? You know, I, I haven't gotten too much into the tungsten craze for open water for my shore fishing, purely because the areas I fish, again, where I mentioned rock, very snaggy. Uh, I just I just got back for, uh, a couple days ago. Me and some fr- me and two friends of mine spent two days up at Devil's Lake. You know, kind of the shore fishing mecca, and it's known for shore fishing in the spring, but it, it's just as good in the fall. I mean, we had we in two days caught over 50 walleyes a lot of them in that 19 to 22 inch range with half a dozen in that 23 to 28 inch range so great fishing for two days but in those two days just myself i lost 21 jig and plastic combos sure so so i mean if you're talking tungsten where they're about you know anywhere from seven to ten bucks for a two-pack that that adds up pretty quick so i i i'm for my my shore fishing arsenal i've pretty much still kept it to just the lead jigs i usually rock anywhere from a quarter to three ace is what i'm most comfortable with i'll rock an eighth if i'm fishing really shallow or, or or colder water in the mornings so if I just need to be a bit more subtle in my presentation. Um, but I'd say one uh, real key is using braid, uh, just so you have that ultimate feel to kind of figure out, you know, where are the soft bottom areas, where are the rocks, um, where are snags. Uh, I, I, I do still believe in mono. I have plenty of rods rigged up for mono, and they have time and place, but I, I really haven't found a time and place for sure where I'm using mono. I'm pretty much a straight braid guy um, with a fluorocarbon leader on the end, uh, on the business end, connecting to my jig. I will, I say another good tip I'd have for guys, and this kind of ties in with all, it's kind of my preference with all jigging. When you're looking, when you're picking a jig rod setup, whether you're in a boat or from shore, that's probably the one rod out of your arsenal where you're, it, it definitely pays to maybe spend a little more than you normally would not say you can't catch great, great fish or have an amazing time, you know, using a you know, more uh, moderately priced rod. But I mean, if you've ever been on the fence, like, gosh, I'd really like to treat myself. I thought about getting a nice rod. If you're going to shell up the cash, a jigging rod is what you're going to want to do. Cause that sensitivity, you know, just plays, it plays into then using braid. You're going to be able to feel everything, you know, so you, you can tell the difference between big rock, little rock, gravel, uh, gravel, you know, sand versus mud. And a lot of times with shore fishing, those details are what separate the good, consistent shore fishermen versus the guys who seem who are kind of hit or miss from shore or struggle a lot fishing from shore. Some of these, sometimes when you go by, uh, you know, these bridges, like all summer long, like all, all, all season long, and you'll see, you know, these shore anglers that are just there time in and time on, they've, they've never had a boat. And they, they're just totally, I mean, but there's a nuance to it. They'll, they'll just school you all day in a spot. Um, and you know, you, you can't even always figure out what in the world it is, but I mean, they're out fishing, you know, four or five to one, they can be right next to you, you know, or you can, and then you can switch spots and it's just always happening. It's just like having that feel, uh, just having that sixth sense about, you know, where the seam is, uh, where to pause, um, you know, where to have cadence, um, you know, and like all those things, it's, it's not the same thing all the time, but yeah, like getting, getting all that stuff dialed in is definitely, um, takes a little bit and it's definitely you know like in the fall 
you know, whether you have a boat or not, a lot of us, it's winding down where we might not decide not to take our boat out anymore and we winterize it or whatever. So I think there's a lot to like. I'm glad that we're talking about the shore fishing thing. Anyways, I'm kind of rambling on there, but I, I definitely respect that shore fishing deal quite a bit. Um, Absolutely. You know, two things I'd speak on to that is, you know, like you said, some of those guys, you, you know, you, you, I'm sure we all have lakes or places we go where you always see, you know, that one guy or those couple guys always on the same spot or, or are always fishing shore. And I mean, some of those guys, you talk, you get to talk with them and hear the story to see the pictures of the fish they caught. It, yeah. it puts, it puts these guys in boats to shame. They have it dialed. Yeah. And another thing I'd say with shore fishing is if you want to become a better jig fisherman, you really should spend time fishing from shore. Cause again, you have no electronics to stare at nothing else to really focus on. You know, it's you, you standing out on a rock all day casting for, I mean, me, I spent 15 hours standing on shore casting nonstop. You get real, when you have nothing else to focus on, but throwing your jig and paddle tail out there, you get really dialed and focused on your cadence. You, you really learn how long does it take for a quarter ounce jig and a four ounce, four inch paddle tail to hit bottom when i rip it up three feet how long does it take when i just twitch it one foot off the bottom you really get a great feel kind of that that mind the muscle connection you know like bodybuilders or like uh, pro athletes will talk about you know with their sport you get such a mind to lure connection when all you have the focus on is your jig cadence fishing from shore that when, when you get it really dialed you spend a day casting shore you know exactly what that lure does every time you move your rod, no matter what. So that, that's another thing I'd say to people is if you want to become a better jig fisherman, spend more time fishing from shore and you, when you have nothing else to focus on. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. The little things start to really show up. The little details for sure. Like going from a quarter ounce to an eighth ounce jig. Oh, that, that'll just turn your whole day upside down. When you've been making this, when you've made the same cast, say, 250 times and then you break off or a pike breaks you off and you go back and you tie on a different lure because you just didn't have one to match what you were just throwing all it's like you just turned your whole day you just started over you know it's uh i just love that i love that um yeah. You know what that does to you. But now getting back to, you know, you know, uh, talking about, you know, some of these patterns that you know a lot of people are thinking about in a boat, you know, talking about uh, the weed bite, you know, or just when the fish are starting to move a little bit more shallow. Like you said, the weed lines are kind of busting up a little bit, um, you know, just you know, shorter day length, like all that The whole conversation revolving around fall fishing. You got the turnover. It opens up the whole lake. The forage base is starting to move around a little bit. The fish are hungry. They're chasing and um you know th that weed bite um what what is some of your rhyme or reason to some of that um you know as far as breaking it down utilizing your electronics um do you just fish through spots um you know what are some of your tips and tricks on that uh you know like you're talking that eight to 12 foot of water um you know, fish moving back into the weeds or fish that are just showing back up in the weeds, uh, the resident fish, uh, that whole conversation. Yeah, I'd say when it comes to weed walleyes in the fall, um, there's kind of two main pieces of structures I, I usually look at. Um, either like big flats, big, you know, and that, again, that kind of six to 15 foot range, depending on your lake, that's usually my zone. If you really want to dial it in, you were right on kind of eight to 12 seems to be the money zone no matter where you go. Um, and tip, and, or I'm looking at very steep breaks that have weeds on the top. The, 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 the common theme between the two is that there's deep water adjacent. Um, you might have a big expansive, like hundred yard football field looking flat. That's 
you know, all of eight to 10 foot, no matter where you go, but then you fall off the edge finally and it goes to like 25 or 35 feet in no time, you know, especially, and that becomes more important as we get, you know, post turnover period when the water temperature is very uniform, you know, from two feet of water all the way down to 30, it's pretty much the same after turnover. Those fish will run up from that deep water into those shallow weeks to feed and then push back out. No problem at all. They'll do that throughout the day because the water temperature is so uniform. Um, now, again, like I said earlier, you will always have some fish that live in those weeds and never leave. They, you know, what I, what I've seen, especially with four face owners the last few years, what I've learned about these resident fish, I always knew they were there. I was wondering, you know, what did they do? Did they go deep during the day or when they weren't, wanting to feed as much no what i've really learned is those fish just lay down when they're active and feeding you see them either on top of the weeds or either on the edge either the inside edge or the outside edge when they're inactive they bury themselves in the weeds they just literally sink down don't move or you'll see them barely moving along the bottoms of the weeds and that's when they become pretty difficult to catch you can catch them but it usually takes some work either very a lot of patience with some live bait or a finesse tech finesse technique or uh going the opposite and you know ripping a heavy jig with a big plastic on trying to trigger a bite um so i guess I kind of ramble on there but that's what i look oh, for yeah. like in big that that's kind of my go-to first is those big flats adjacent deep water or i'm looking at a, a steep break typically close close to the shoreline steep shoreline breaks um that have some weeds on top of them um and i'm i'm when I talk about weeds, I'm usually looking for the right kind of weeds. The right kind of weeds uh, are usually going to be some kind of either uh, cabbage is usually number one, broadleaf cabbage, coontails second, and then um, uh, milfoils probably third. Milfoil, uh, I've kind of I've kind of become more of a fan of the last few years. Growing up, I always thought of milfoil as more of a trash weed or more of a bass weed you know uh, i didn't yeah. think walleyes use it much but i found especially fishing a lot more of these north dakota lakes uh, that we don't have very much wheat as much weed growth or the variety of weed growth you see in minnesota um i think that attributes mainly because the water levels in north dakota fluctuate so much you know a lot of these lakes weren't lakes you know 20 20 30 years ago right. so you don't have those established weed lines um and uh milfoil is one of those weeds that does very well in warm water shallow dirty water then you know that kind of play that kind of describes the majority of the lakes we have in the glacial lakes region of north north and south dakota um so it kind of comes down to what walleyes love weeds and if you know milfoil is the only weed available they'll use it um but i'm seeing in minnesota too uh, milfoil is expanding and the walleyes are definitely using it i see and use it more especially in this fall time when it is more sparse milfoil will have a tendency to grow really thick and patchy and dense and when it's like that kind of in the summer the walleyes don't use it as much but in this fall time when it becomes more sparse and opens up they'll relate to it a lot but when i'm fishing like those steep breaks with weeds on top of it um i'm usually looking for um weeds that stand very are still standing tall as you get later into the fall it doesn't it doesn't still necessarily need to be green you always hear that look for the green weeds and that's true to a point but if you have weeds that are still standing tall like a cabbage is a great example that even when cabbage dies and gets brown if it's still standing tall that's still cover for bait fish lingering around or more important that's still good cover for walleyes to hang off and ambush from uh, and chase bait down so when i'm fishing those steep breaks i'm really looking for weeds that at the top of it you know when i say steep break i might say you know it's that it's that break that looks like a 45 degree angle or greater. Right. And usually what I'm looking for is those weeds in that top section. Let's say it tops out at like six feet of water, then breaks down in the 25 feet of water really quick. If I got weed growth in that six to like, 
10, 12 foot range, just in that like first third of the break. And it's standing tall. That's perfect. Um, that's what I want. And that's, that's probably a nice one for a majority of people to fish. It's not as intimidating as a big flat because you can either uh, fish it with a jig or if uh, you're more comfortable just rigging live bait, it's a very, that's a very easy piece of structure to drag bait up and down from. And dragging live bait's one of those where, again, if, if you're one of those guys that either doesn't believe in forward-based sonar or doesn't, you know, doesn't, just simply doesn't have it because you don't want it, um, that's a great area where you definitely you do not need forward-based sonar at all to fish effectively and have good, and have good luck. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations we talk about the fishing all the time on this show but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer which is way more than we ever talk about on this show you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that we're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community there's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of devil's lake also our favorite the fishing tab It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider, if you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov slash cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. Yeah, man, I kind of wanted to go that direction a little bit because I know you're a forward sonar guy. Um, And one of the things we talk about all year long is uh, just how impressive a lot of these fish are with, you know, detecting boats in pressured areas. What do you see on them fall bites? I mean, we're talking about catching fish in less than 20 feet of water. You know, we're talking this, this 8 to 12, 8 to 15 foot mark. Like, you know, any other time of year, these, you know, we, we just have been harping with forward sonar that we've learned they're spooky fish. Like, do you, I mean, is it still that, a, is that a factor for you and with a lot of these bites? Like, are you casting, um, 
you know, to get away from the boat? Uh, like, is it like, talk to me about boat control, boat positioning, and just how you break down these spots maybe on, on your first pass. Yeah. So typically on my first pass, you know, I'll run through with the side imaging to see if there's, you know, bait, fish, how, how, see how everything lays out. Then when I come back through with the trolling motor, I have, uh, I have our forward face star mounted on the trolling motor. Um, just so I, just so it's easy. I have hands-free fishing. I run an Altrex, which is a cable steer trolling motor. So I control everything in my foot. Um, and I can point, I can point it wherever I want to see, uh, with the trolling motor. Kind of how I break it down is I'm looking, I'm one looking for fish. If they're active again, like I said before, they're either on top of the weeds or off the edges. And when they're, when they're in those areas, walleyes are very easy to identify. They stick out like sort of, especially when they're big, when they start getting over 24 inches, like a walleye on Fort Bay sonar, it looks like a big football with like a little flame behind it. When you can see the separation between the tail and the body, you know, I, I know that's, a, that's the right kind of walleyes I'm looking for. Um, but even like, you know, what uh, your more common walleye, your eater size walleyes that majority of us, you know, uh, look for those 16 to 20 inches, they're going to be shaped more like footballs. Um, seems like bass are more like a perfect circle and pike are just look like a long snake. So if someone is struggling to kind of deal with fish identification that's kind of my general rule that i found has helped me pretty much everywhere i fish walleyes um but when i'm coming through looking for them in the weeds uh in the especially in the shallow weeds yes like you said they're very boat shy um i found kind of the buffer zone is 30 feet if you get within 30 feet of them they're gonna spook um but i, I think what's important to note is when people think of spook they i think they have the wrong image in their head. These fish aren't going to start off, you know, 200 feet away and they're going to leave the structure and you're never going to have a chance at them again. When typically what happens when they, these fish spook is they either just, they push off to the side about 50, 60 feet, or they sink down. They lay down in the bottom, let you pass overhead. Um, they won't, they're very difficult to catch once they do spook, you stay on top of them. But if you pay attention though, where they were sitting, and how they're acting, just keep going, look for new fish, give those fish about five or 10 minutes, then circle back. Usually they come right back to wherever they were or resume doing what they were doing before you kind of spooked them, you know? So that I think that's my tip for guys. If you spook fish, don't necessarily give up on them. Just give them some time and they'll recuperate. They'll go back to doing what they were doing before you moved up on them. So, so that'll still give you a chance to catch them. Right on, man. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, man. I like yeah. that. And, and um, you know, you kind of mentioned this as well. Um, I kind of want to sort of, you know, pick on it a little bit where when you look at a spot or you find some fish in a certain area, what's sort of your progression with presentations, um, you know, based upon maybe what you're seeing the fish reacting to versus how the spot lays out? What are some of those factors and details that let you know, you know, what rod you're going to reach down and grab next? Yeah, I'd say my number one go-to, I always grab for anything um, when I'm fishing these, you know, these shallow, these shallow weed areas is going to be a three-eighths ounce jig with a five-inch split tail minnow, you know, uh, like a fluke style or a jerk minnow. There's tons of different names for it, but that's the yeah, five-inch size with the, with that split tail on the back with a, with a heavy head, you know, a three-eighths ounce head. Um, something that I can cast out and I'm, I'm popping it just like I would like a jig and wrap. And when you see it on forward facing sonar, um, you see how exactly how it moves. It darts up, you know, three feet crashes straight down, like three to four feet, rips up again, a couple feet crashes straight down. And a lot of your bites like working a jig and wrap are going to come either on the fall, 
you're just going to feel a tick or you're going to rip and they're just there. Or if you do feel them hit on a taut line, they absolutely freight train it. Um, so that's usually what I'll start out with because I can, tr- I can get an aggressive strike. When, usually when they hit it, they inhale it. So when I set the hook, I got them. Because the opposite of a jigging wrap, you're not dealing with tiny hooks. You know, A 3 8 ounce jig and the jigs I use are made by a friend of mine on, in Moorhead here, uh, Daddy's Hand Tie Jigs. He puts huge hooks on them. Like I think on the 3 8 ounce, we put a, it's either a 5 out or a 6 out hook. So it, it's a big hook. And I wanted that for two reasons. One, a five-inch plastic's not a small plastic. You know, a lot of the walleye jigs on the market today, they have great quality hooks. They're sharp, but they're just, they're not long enough for a lot of these plastics I like to use. I like to go big. So on a five-inch plastic, you know, on a lot of the other jigs I use on the market, if I use a 3 ounce jig, it's fine only go back, you know, inch and a half, two inches, versus I use a five or six out hook on a five inch bait, my jig's coming out perfectly like in the middle of it, or even maybe a little bit farther past it. So when they grab it, either they inhale it or they slash at it, T-bone it, I know I'm going to get a great hookup percentage. Um, the other reason I, li- I like that uh, setup, that's my go-to setup when I'm fishing these shallow weeds, I can cover a lot of water. Um, and I think, you know, that ties in well, we are talking about forward face sonar, I'm not always just casting at fish. What I mean by that is with forward facing sonar, a good thing to look for is what I call fishy looking spots. When these, especially in the weeds, when these fish sit in the weeds, so they're not always, you know, on top or on the edges where you can see them easily. Sometimes they lay down just in the top so they bury themselves. And what I've learned the last couple of years is if a spot, if you know there's fish in the area and you come, let's say you're cruising down a big flat, right? And let's say it's 12 feet of water, the weeds come up about four feet. Uh, consistently, but then all of a sudden you see like a 20 foot wide dip where the weeds only come about a foot or two, like a kind of that low, that, well, low hanging pocket. Just because I don't see a fish there right before a fish, so I will definitely cast into there a couple times, rip it through. And you'd be amazed how many fish you catch that you don't see, or all of a sudden you see them come up out of the weeds or come up from the bottom and absolutely annihilate your bait. So when I'm fishing these weed, these weed uh, beds or just these weed structured areas for walleyes, I'm not always just throwing at fish. I'm throwing at the fishy looking areas because usually if fish are around, either a couple fish or one big fish is going to dominate that fishy looking area. We're definitely covering some good stuff there. Is there anything before we move on? We've got another topic that we kind of want to dig in with you specifically. Um, is there anything along the lines of any, you know, the, this fall fishing that you've been doing lately? Any of any just fun things, maybe some theories that you've been working on and and you're kind of getting on anything you want to share along those lines or just any good stories, some learning or, or uh, something that you found out or just whatever? You know, I, I'd say one thing that I like to share with people that uh, it's a, it's a, New to me technique, I am not going to claim that I invented this or like perfected it, or I'm sure some people will hear about it and be like, oh, I've been doing that forever. Um, snap jigging minnows. Uh, and it kind of plays into what you'd asked me for. How do I attack here to progress? I usually always start with that, that three ace ounce and big split tail. That's my go-to. But what I pay attention to um, is how they react to this bait. If they're spook, if I throw it at a, at a fish or by, or in a fishy area and I see fish either spook from it or have no reaction at all when this bait rips by them, I usually then go immediately to, to a finesse style, either throwing a light jig with a minnow and slowly swimming it by them, or I might throw a live minnow under a bobber um, and let it swim by them, or I might even just throw out a lindy rig and let a minnow sit in their face for a couple minutes, see if I can listen a strike out of them. That's typically what I do when fish are kind of neutral, negative, just not reacting to uh, um, a reaction bait, right? 
the one I found that kind of fits in, gives you the best of both worlds that has saved me a ton this year, either on tough bites or has helped me get kind of that kicker fish I'm looking for is snap jigging minnows. And what I mean by that is I'm typically throwing, I mean, I'm, it's kind of contradiction what you think when you think of snap jigging. When you think of snap jigging, you're thinking of heavy baits, right? I'm typically always throwing an eighth ounce jig with some kind of bigger minnow, you know, three, four, five inch, either shiner, chub, sucker. I don't really, I don't really care what the minnow is because it's going by these fish so fast. Just as long as it seems to be, it has to be the right size. So I'll, I'll skull hook the minnow because I, I don't really care about the minnow staying lively per se, because I'm doing all the action and I, I want the minnow to stay on this hook, but I'll do an eighth ounce long shank jig uh, four or five inch minnow, I'll throw it at these fish and I will pop it on a semi slack line, just like I would that, um, big heavy jig in plastic. And what, what happens is that minnow darts by really erratically and those fish, they see something going by really fast. And all of a sudden they get the, the scent, you know, the scent of, of, of the real deal. It's, it's bait, it's live bait. That's a minnow. That's what they want to eat. But it's getting, it's going by them really quick where they can't judge it really fast, but they know it's getting away and they can't let the real deal get away from them like that. Um, and they just annihilate it. It's kind of the same deal again, going back to snatching a plastic jigging wrap. If you feel one or two bites, either you go to snap it again and your rod folds over or you feel the, the tick or the thunk where that fish just annihilates it or T-bones it. 90% of the time you're going to get them. What I have found where you will miss some fish is if they are pretty negative and you snap, you get minnow by them, you'll get them to lurch out and grab it aggressively, but they might only grab half of it aggressively. So you will, I will precurse warn people that you will, you still might miss some fish, but if you start snap jigging minnows, you know, don't work it just, you know, lift, twitch, twitch, fall, lift, twitch, fall. Like I think most people are used to working minnow. No, start snapping that minnow the same way you would snap a plastic. And I think you'd be amazed how many more fish you're going to catch when the bike gets tough. Right on, man. There it is, man. I appreciate the heck out of that. That's good stuff. Um, and uh, let's let's move along, though. We're covering good ground here, and I want to give you enough minutes or enough time here so we can cover, you know, uh, you know, this topic. We've had you on before. You know, you're you're a Shields employee. You work in Fargo there, and uh, I like getting retail updates from you because here we are. It's fall. We're talking open water fishing, but the retail world always functions kind of a little bit differently uh, as far as the seasons. It's anticipation. You're always a little bit ahead. Um, you know, you're, the stuff that's popular in selling now, uh, you, I'm guessing we're talking, uh, you know, a lot more ice fishing stuff. Uh, so give me the retail update and let's maybe go through some of the trendy things going on in the retail world and some of the offerings that you guys have that uh, are kind of, you know, seasonal right now. Yeah, so I'm excited for the for the ice fish season. I'm not. I'm not. I don't usually get the hardcore hard water itch till about November, but I'm always excited, looking forward to the next season. Ice fishing is no different. So yeah, over at the Fargo Shields, we just finished up our shop set. We spent two weeks where me and the four of the guys I run the shop with uh, couldn't do it without them. We, we we just the sheer area we cover the amount of product we have and the and just the business we get it's not a one-man show no no shields is you know it takes an it takes an army to get stuff done so i'm pretty thankful for the crew i get to work with but we spent the last two weeks 
get it, you know, putting away most of the, of the open water stuff, bringing out all the, all the ice fishing stuff from houses, the clothing to augers, to rods, reels, tackle, you name it. We got it all set up and ready to go. It looks beautiful. It's one of the, you know, I've been at Shields 10 years now. Um, I've done plenty of shop sets, both open water and hard water. And I have to say this last one is probably one of the smoothest and uh, best ones we've ever had. And I think we usually fall into saying this every year, but this year is probably the best looking our ice fishing shop has ever looked. And it's probably got some of the best flow that you're ever going to see uh, one of uh, a shop and shields have. So I'm really excited for it. And I, I think this is one of those years where I, I don't think there's really anything like groundbreaking or game changing that's going to be introduced to the market this year on the ice fishing side, but there's just a lot of really cool stuff coming out. I think trendy is the best word you use to describe what you're going to see a lot of this year. Um, and that's across a couple of different things. Um, a couple of things I'm excited for, uh, uh augers, um, Eskimo, uh, came out with a new auger this year. That's probably the lightest, uh, electric, you know, 40 volt auger I've ever had the privilege of using. I got to use it a little bit la at the end of last season and test it out. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's the, it's the E40 from Eskimo. It's only 19 pounds, but it's a 40 volt auger. Um, that's incredible. You know, it's just, it's, I always got to remind some of my younger part-timers how it makes you feel old saying it, but I got to remind how good they got it. Like when I first started Shields, there was 16 feet of augers and they were all, there was a couple electric ones, you know, ion was the first one. Everyone knew the electric was the green one, but you had the gas strike masters. There was four different models. You had the gas and propane jiffies. There were six different models. You had the gas and propane Eskimos. There was four or five different models. There was so much to choose from, but the common theme was, you know, they were heavy. I mean, I think when the propane auger came out, everyone couldn't believe it was only, it's only like 37 pounds. What? You know, and now you, you used to drill, you know, dozens or a hundred holes a day doing that. Now I think a lot of these guys, you sent them out there and told them to drill a hundred holes with a, a gas or propane auger. They come back with a broken back, you know? Yeah. You know? So oh, yeah. I think we get spoiled in that aspect sometimes that we got to remember where we came from, but that, that, uh, that, uh, E40 from Eskimo, I think will be a great auger. It just shows that we're just always trying to get lighter, faster, more efficient on the auger side. Um, another big trend I'm seeing the last couple of years, uh, in lures, no, I'm excited for it. I, I'm, I think when it comes to ice fishing, I think we can kind of get lost in lures sometimes. I think we all, what I always come back to remind people is that in ice fishing, we're limited in that everything from a spoon to a rattle bait to, you know, a, a tungsten jig, everything is essentially a jig. You know, you, you can't cast, <laughs> you know, you can't, right. you can't cast in ice fishing, you know? So everything in some way, shape or form is a jig or meant to be jigged. So when you, you kind of have all your lures pigeonholed in a sense, you know, it's like, how, how do you, how do you separate from other brands or more importantly, how do you show these fish something they haven't seen or heard before? And I think the biggest thing the last couple of years has been that let's give them something they haven't heard before you know northland uh i believe it was last year came out the glass buckshot rattle spoon you know a, a, a buck the northland buckshot spoon's a staple it's probably in every single ice fisherman's tackle box been around forever right um but last year you had the glass buckshot buckshot rattle where it was coated in epoxy um and that did two things one it gave it a, a unique look a unique shine you know the the, the colors underneath that epoxy um, can never, you know, get scratched up or wear. So your lure is always going to look brand new, right? It's always going to look shiny and perfect. It's going to look like the original color 
you wanted when you bought it. But the biggest thing is that when you have that glass rattle chamber, it's different than a brass or a metal one. It makes a different sound. It's a different pitch. It's a different, it's a different frequency. So, you know, you take fish that have for years only heard brass or, you know, metal rattle chambers. Now you give them something they haven't heard before. You know, that could be the difference between, you know, catching uh, on your, your new biggest or having the best day you ever had. Cause you know, it's, it's showing these fish again, something they're not used to. I think that that plays a big part, especially when you talk like pressured lakes, you know, as much as everyone wants to, you know, find these off the beaten paths or take these destination trips, you know, fish unpressured fish. I think the reality for a lot of us is that we, we all, no matter where you're at, fish our local lakes that everyone knows about. We all fish a lot of the same spot. Even, you know, we all like to be the first person to a spot or first person to find it. You're on the reality. A lot of these lakes, you're probably not the first person to ever fish this spot you know so these, these fish have seen you know some shape or form of a lure in so, somehow you know at some time but when you can give them something new that they're not used to that's when you can kind of rediscover bites or get on a bite that uh other people haven't found yet you know if you're the first person to get on that new lure that new trend you can ride that wave a lot longer than people than other people who might only be getting into it just this year or you know next year so that, that's kind of a big trend I'm seeing in lures now is sound. Uh, companies are playing around with sound a lot more. I, I think that's really cool. Right on, man. Dude, that's a great update. What, uh, you know, what, what are some other, some other things coming up? Maybe there's some, you know, any events coming up or anything, uh, that we could promote that way. Um, or just keep, give people a little heads up, uh, if there is maybe going to be some kind of a, you know, a shortage or, or what are some things that people should be looking to jump on right away? You know, at Shields, we have our, our big ice fishing sale every year known as Ice Fest. Now, Fargo's not the only store that has an Ice Fest. Uh, quite a, I think quite a few of the other uh, stores in the Ice Belt do. I think there's probably five or six stores that do ice events all the way from, you know, uh, Bismarck all the way to uh, uh, Eden Prairie and uh, all the way down to Sioux Falls as well. Um, and I might be a little biased because I work at Fargo, but one thing I think we have the best event, the biggest and the best one. And one thing you can't argue with is we are, we were the first one this year will be our, our 10th anniversary. It's the 10th Fargo Shields ice fest. Um, and we're really excited for it. We're doing it bigger and better than ever. We're giving away over $25,000 worth of prizes and uh, destination fishing trips for people who attend, you know, you sign up when you attend and you can, you'll be entered in for any one of those items. We're giving away some, uh, everything from, you know, tackle kits all the way to live scope bundles. And some, again, like I said, some destination fishing trips to Lake of the woods. Um, I think we have a, we have a guided fishing trip with Jason up on devil's Lake. And we're also giving away um, uh, a Lake Winnipeg ice fishing trip at the Fargo Shields ice fest. We're do our event is going to run the 17th, 18th and 19th out in the parking lot at the Fargo at the Fargo Shield. So if anyone's interested, it's the it's the best time to get a deal. And what better time to get a deal than at the start of the ice fishing season? You know, we're gonna have the best deals, have some of the biggest names in the industry and the best brands all in one area. So I, I highly encourage everyone to stop out because you definitely don't want to miss out. Yeah, dude. That's it. I think those are good heads ups and just a good update from the retail world. Uh, here in the Midwest from the leader Shields and uh, you're right there in Fargo right in the thick of it so yeah man just another great update dude and uh, we're doing so good on time we don't uh, you know if we start a new topic uh, you know then we're gonna have to go a lot longer so um, I'm cool 
I'm cool with it, man. Um, anything else that we got to cover uh, along these lines of things we've already talked about, or can we wrap this up? What do you think? I think we wrap it up, man. I just, I think one last thing I say to people out there is, you know, don't put the boats away. The fall, fall is the greatest time, you know, to not only catch a ton of fish, but I'd argue it's right up there with spring to catch your biggest wall of the year. You know, the fish are, are said those big female are developing eggs already and they got to eat a lot. So they need to eat, they need to eat more now than they do in the spring when they're more focused on the spawn. So now I'd say is probably your best chance to catch that new personal best. Um, and I'd also say just, you know, enjoy the open water season as long as you can. Cause once it does lock up, it happens every year. Everyone's so excited for ice fishing, myself included, but we always hit kind of that midpoint in the winter, you know, right around that February time frame when it's about the fifth or seventh blizzard of the year. It's like the fifth day in a row of below zero. And you're, you're wishing for the boats all again, already so enjoy it as much as we can as much as we love ice fishing you know enjoy that time on the open water as much as possible i'm with you man i'm right there with you man well i appreciate <laughs> it i appreciate it Jaden. i appreciate your time sounds good brother take care